I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to ESPN's The Far Post Podcast. We are back for another week, round 18. What a round of dub. Absolute insanity all round. Lots of goals, lots of controversy, lots of questions, which means we're going to have a lot of fun on this episode. Before we begin, though, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri and Gadigal people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. For today, you've got me, Marissa Lodanik, Angela Christian-Wilkes, Anna Harrington, and Sam Lewis. So, my dudes, let us begin today's episode with some you love to see it, as we usually do. Angela, do you want to kick us off today with some, with a, you love to see it? Well, it is some you love to see it. I feel like it's like a package deal for me this week. I'm just going to say I love to see the Beatty Goad show. This was her first week back with Victory. Well, after, I think Marissa, you said nine weeks off. Um, that's That was her being a, a, a genius who also is like studying to be a doctor or whatever. But like, she's back. And she made such an impact on Victory's 5-3 win over the Knicks. Uh, two goals. First was like a header from a corner. The second was like this cheeky little flick, which I really enjoyed as well. And just generally, she had a fantastic game. Um, the creativity that she brings um, and like the way that Victory can use her as an attacking outlet is just really fun to watch. Um and she's also just like individually as a player, really fun to watch with her technical skills. So it's great to have her back in. Um, and yeah, I got to watch Beatty play with uh, fellow ginger nut Aurelia, who is six months old. So we had a great time. It was it was a big game for us um, in terms of, you know, representation as well. So Beatty Goad smashing it. You love to see it. She was simply everywhere. Like, could not escape her. I'm sure the Knicks players are kind of having, yeah, (laughs) there it is. Um, I was going to say, just like there's flashes of orange in their nightmares of a beady goat just like running down the wing, zipping into the box, whatever it is. But um, it was absolutely phenomenal and I'm sure the Vuck absolutely loved having her back at their disposal. Sam, what did you love to see from this weekend? Look, I always love to see a Sydney FC win in a Sydney Derby. I love to see Sydney FC defeat the Western Sydney Wanderers, but I particularly love it when there is a goal that really stands out, especially after a game in which they should have probably scored 10,000 more goals. So the, the goal specifically I'm talking about is Sydney's second goal against Western Sydney in the Derby on the weekend, um, scored by the the debutante, the youngster, Talon Henneker. It, it was not just like... The, the finish, which was very mature, very classy, but it was also the through ball from Courtney Vine, which was just mwah, chef's kiss. It, it was like this beautiful diagonal cross field, like 
a parting of the Red Sea type of pass. It zips through like three players and had all the Wanderers defenders on their back heels with Talon Henneker sprinting down the left wing, surrounded by grass. She could have taken a hundred more touches and probably still would have got in the back of the net. Um, yeah, it was just great to see. It was really awesome to see Shay Connors celebrating with such joy as well for this young kid who's been brought in quite late to the squad and and got Sydney FC a 2-0 win. So Talon Henneke scoring her first goal for the dub. Love to see it. Absolutely, we do. It was a great goal. Hopefully there's plenty more for her. Harrow, what do you, do you love to see from this weekend? Well, between Courtney Vine in there and uh, Betty Goad. And now with Hannah Keane, we're going to have a trio of redhead representation just for you, Angela. Um, Hannah Keane, star of the show. Amazing what can happen, as we said last week, when um, she is played in her natural position as a striker. She thrives. Um, she was just the star of the show against Cambria United. She scored her first goal inside 15 seconds, the second fastest goal ever in the dub. Kate Gill still holds the record with 13 seconds, um, about 10 years ago now. Great goal. And then she follows it up with two more just lovely finishes, a great header and uh, and a banger. And she is just on song, Western United are flying. And she won the penalty as well. So three goals plus a one penalty in a 4-2 win. Had a hand in every goal. So Hannah Keane, friend of the pod, Hannah Keane, um, absolutely killing it. You love to see it. We absolutely do. And that 4-2 result for Western United over Canberra is where we need to start today's chat because Western United now like have an air of inevitability about them. Yes, they were playing Canberra, but Canberra are kind of like one of, I feel, the most dangerous last place teams you could come up against because they simply always find a way to score goals, which causes headaches and which... We saw they did in this game as well, but Western United, there's is there is there any stopping them? Because it really feels like everything has clicked into place and they are just moving along like a well-oiled machine. I mean, not if they keep playing like this. Um, we we talked last week about well, last week or two weeks ago. What a great job Cat Smith's done with um, with this team that's taking up. We obviously know a lot of the bones were there from Mark Torcaso's time. Um, he also recruited Grace Ma to come down. She wanted to play centre-back. Um, it's something I think we all queried. And, you know, at times they have still leaked some goals. But clearly if you're if you're a Grace Ma, right, you go, my opportunity, if I ever want to break into the Matildas setup, isn't going to be as a creative midfielder. It's probably I've got to look at centre-back. I've got to look at a defensive role. And her and Alana Sen have been a, a really good partnership. We know how industrious they are in midfield. I don't think we can downplay the impact having Chloe Legazzo fit and firing has had. She's been sensational. She drags players along with her. And, yeah, it, it's just functioning so beautifully. Like, Keane and Legazzo, given they didn't play a heap together last year with Legazzo's injury, have just developed this wonderful understanding. Um, they didn't have Carly Johnson this time, who, um, you know, is away with the with the young Matildas. But it's, it's really wonderful to see. I think last year it was a real like backs to the wall season, like a lot of players looking to prove everyone wrong and, and fair enough. You know, I've been overlooked. I've been knocked back. A Hannah Keane was the last player cut for a, for a bit for a Yanis, for example, by Melbourne city a few years back. The Tarantos had stints at Melbourne victory. A lot of players in this group that, um, you know, were maybe told they weren't good enough and the expansion has, has helped them. But this year, I think it's been really good. They've kind of shed that tag. It's no longer about 
proving that they're good enough for the league. It's about showing that they can actually um, go and win the thing. And considering how shaky they were at the start of the season, it's been super impressive. They look like they were having a bit of a hangover, second-year blues. And then um, I think since Cats come on, they've they've been fantastic. They're industrious. They work hard. They're disciplined. The two goals they conceded, let's be honest, there were two bangers from Canberra and one's from Michelle Heyman when the game's dead. Um, they still don't want to concede them, but, you know, it's it's not shabby defensive showings that are costing them goals. And, yeah, it, it would be great to see them get away with some silverware here um, because the way they're playing, they, they really deserve it. Um, it would just be a matter of if they can keep this chasing pack at bay now. Yeah, I think that's the thing that's impressed me most about Western is how they have responded to the start of their season. Because I think it can, particularly for a newer team, it can be really difficult psychologically to kind of get over that hurdle where you don't really get off to the start that you want. The first kind of five or six rounds are a little bit shit. Um, oops, sorry, sorry, Mickey Mouse. Um, and and it just feels like you haven't sort of found your thing. And, you know, you've got the the sort of the lingering pressure of the previous season on your shoulders as well. Like, oh, God, are we ever going to live up back up to that kind of performance again? And so for them to have done what they've done and to be playing the kind of football that they're playing is so, it's so awesome. Like it's it's such a testament to Cat Smith having had a coaching change halfway through the season. You know, a lot of clubs, a lot of teams would would sort of buckle under that, I think. And, and we'll just be like, well, this season's a write-off. Let's just try and lay some foundations for the next one. But to, to Cat's credit, to the staff's credit and to the players' credit, they have really adapted so quickly to this. Um, and, and they're flying like they, they just like Marissa, I think you said it best, like a well-oiled machine is the way that it feels when you watch them play. Everyone knows exactly what they're doing all the time. They know how to work together as a unit and having a Chloe Legazzo and a Hannah Keane now fit and firing. I think that's sort of been maybe the thing that hampered them at the start of the season. They didn't quite have those key attacking players who were playing with confidence and who were finding the back of the net regularly. So now that they've got that, I I really don't see much of a weakness in this team. And I, I don't see them slowing down either. Like considering we've got a couple of the teams around them in the top four who are a little bit shaky themselves, you know, that, that this, this, this might actually be their season. I think it's worth noting as well the context with which Cat Smith came into this role. Um, obviously, Mark Tocaso left. He'd originally tried to juggle the Philippines and the Western United job, and it, it didn't work. So when um, when Cat took over six weeks into the season, let's not forget as well, as we've mentioned, this is basically six, seven weeks or two months after she'd been sacked by the Wanderers, like 10 days out from the start of the season. Um, it, they were sitting, it was six games in three weeks. Sorry, let me just correct myself. It was two wins one draw and three losses, which is, we know this season is longer, but that's far from a stable platform to kick off the season with, right? And they'd copped a loss to, they, they copped a loss in their opening round. They were sort of, sort of finding the back of the net, but but not consistently. And as we've mentioned, um, basically since Cat's taken over, they've moved, shifted Hannah Keane central again. She's returned to that goal scoring form and yeah, they're they're up and about, and as you say, Sam, there's every reason to believe they can they can keep going. The only, I guess, they've been so lucky to have yeah, King come back into the fold, and it feels like their like their standout players are like cooking, 
now, like you said, Harry, like Legazzo and Keane in particular have had such an impact. But um, the kind of core of this team as well, like both of the Torontos, I think this whole season have been consistent, even when the side maybe hasn't been able to, um, you know, put away the goals that will get them wins. It's that whole what a friend of the pod, Tom, talks about this, like scoring goals is actually a defensive uh, motive because then it takes the pressure off your defense to ha- not leak like one and then lose a game for it or, you know. So, um, but I think, yeah, that a lot of credit there in terms of the core, like in a, a Stacey Papadopoulos who is like week in, week out, you know what you're going to get from her and what she's able to do or like a, a TJ Vlanich as well, like an, another defender. Um, but I think also like the goalkeeper situation could have maybe put the cat amongst the pigeons for them, but it looks like they're able to just keep, rolling so Hillary Beal's gone back to the US to play in the NWSL so they've got um she Swedish my apology no she's not Swedish Larson she's come in Sam you had a quizzical look I thought you were talking about Hillary Beal I'm like Hillary Beal's not Swedish no no I know that (laughs) Hillary Beal is incredibly American um yeah and I think before she came into the fold as well like you could tell that maybe they they were missing Danish last one. Danish. Apologies to our Scandinavian friends for my mix up there. So they've got a new Danish goalkeeper. We've um, done enough to Denmark lately. We don't need to add insult to injury, do we? No. Um, but yeah, so that was kind of that's like maybe a question mark for me. But at the same time, like because they've got people like a Hannah Kane just putting the goals away. It's like, well, if you leak a few, that's in the next like couple of rounds, if you're able to keep up the, the, you know, good stuff in, on the other side of the field, then whatever. But I say that, I think it's an interesting comparison, like the victory game this weekend, uh, a similar, maybe that's a similar sort of dynamic of like, okay, well now we're firing goals. It's okay if we concede three, but is it okay? Is it? I'm not sure. <laughs> Anyway, but Western United, I think they look fantastic. They definitely look like the most threatening out of the top four at the moment. Um, and so, and they've definitely, and they've been the most consistent the past few rounds. Like how many wins on the go now? It's like seven, eight, seven, right? I can't count. Ten. I think it's yes. six, actually. Six. <laughs> Don't listen to six. me. Yeah. Their last loss was against the one and only Sydney FC. One nil. Which also, that's their next game, and it's prime time Saturday night, seven pm. Like, I'm looking. Bring it on. (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of fixture, we'll be back for you later, four thirty pm kickoff on a Friday. Don't think we've forgotten about you. We're saving you for the boot. Long time listeners, you know that we, we we simply would not forget something like that. So we will get to that a little bit later. In oh, the nobody's pod. getting away with that one. No, the, no, no one's getting away with anything in this podcast. The, the other boot that you think is coming is absolutely coming. So stick around for that one. Um, but shout, Angela, quick shout out to Angela for uh, arriving at the pub to get the iPad out to watch Western United Canberra and discovering Canberra already three uh, 0 down. But persisting uh, <laughs> for what can't have been a rewarding experience as a Canberra fan. No, no. Now that's um, eventually, <laughs> eventually Paramount Plus like kind of gave up, which was sad because that was when Canberra started scoring goals. Um, 
but anyway. Just decided to pull all the fans out of their misery. <laughs> Give yeah. us nothing, Paramount. Woo! Or maybe it was my hotspot. We don't know. I it's we haven't pinned down the culprit of that crime. But at the time, I was like, you know what? Let's just leave it. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna try and fix the tech issues that we're dealing with here. I'm just gonna go back to my limoncello spritz and have a nice time. But yeah. Anyway. And we did have a nice time. We had excellent wedges, if I do say so myself. But that's not the point. The point is we are going to move on to a team that Angela just mentioned uh, in terms of teams cooking. The Melbourne Victory. 5-3 winners. They're back. Over Wellington. Harrow's claiming they're back. But I think Angela raises a very valid question in terms of, like, should should a team that's back be also leaking three goals so how do we kind of weigh up this performance in terms of the obvious attacking kind of prowess and how well they did and how much BD Goad's inclusion obviously helped versus conceding two like two goals in two minutes basically to end it to end up with this 5-3 scoreline well, if I know Jeff Hopkins, <laughs> he wouldn't have reacted well to that. Uh, being a defender himself, he prides himself on his defence. To me, it seems like BD Goad goes off and it's like two quick goals happen. <laughs> uh, it's like the, the foot had come off all of a sudden. Um, but, yeah, I think they'll be really flat about that because, well, I do say things could come down to goal difference, but in the ever-bootable change that has happened this season, apparently things come down to wins. So um, I think... Anyway, anyway, I digress. Yeah, of course there's going to be concerns about that. Um, they've got a strong enough defence that they shouldn't be shipping goals late, especially when, they're, let's be honest, they demolished Wellington. Like, it should have been... They shouldn't have let Wellington get anything out of that, right? Like, it should have been one of those ones where you put the foot down. I know that they should have been the first goal, right? That's fine. But it should have been one of those, those results where you go 5-1, we've smashed you, we're back, cop that, that sort of thing, you know? Like... Thanks for coming, Wellington. All the very best. Won't see you at the pointy end of the season. But it's um, you kind of let a team not back into it because the game was effectively done and dusted, but they just sort of cheap goals to give away, right? Um, so I think we all know internally they'll be fuming about that because against teams like Western United, Sydney FC, if Melbourne City regain form, back to you later, City. Those moments can be really costly, lapses in concentration, that sort of thing. Um but I think it's probably more worth talking about what they did on the attacking side of things because early in the season, that was where they were really battling, right? Like they were just getting bulk possession, lots of theoretical chances um, and not doing a heap with it. Whereas you look at them against against Wellington and you, I mean, to be honest, since Emily Gilnick's hit form over the past uh, month or so, they look dangerous every time they go near their attacking area. And that's what they should have been. That's what we were expecting, right? And we've talked so many times about um, what this means in terms of slotting in Alex Chidiak, making this work. And they looked really functioning yesterday in attack. Um, Paige Zoyce comes in, has been a player who's had a really difficult season, um, been out of favour, been out of form, uh, gets the opportunity, obviously, with, you know, young Matildas away. And um, we know Elise Kalnut was out of the squad as well. Um and does really well. They've started scoring goals. They're starting to, as I said, find a find a bit of form. Nine goals over their past two games. Sometimes you just need something to click, and it seems like it, it has. And how about you score four goals one week, and then Beatty Goad, who I think most would say is arguably their most important player because she's so smart, she's creative, she does the work defensively, she sets up her teammates. She comes in and just has a 
wonderful game. Um, Wellington's defence will come back to you later because if you're letting Beattie go, who is not that tall, score headed goals, you've got some other problems happening. The amount of back post tap-ins as well, like all bad. But you know, you got to take the chances when you can't when they come, and that's something Victory were not doing earlier in the season. Um, and they did lose Mackenzie Winer between these games as well. So like, it's impressive. Like that's what they needed to start doing. And that's what's going to get them in the mix with those those top couple of teams because when they were just wasting chances, like can't win a heap if you're not scoring, right? Marissa, you were saying pre-pod, this was quite the round for missing sitters, speaking of uh, taking chances when you get them. And I think, yeah, maybe Victoria kind of showing the opposite of that. But, yeah, there, across a, diff- a few of the games, there were some um, interesting misses i don't know if you wanted to go into that or we i can very briefly mention it because we don't need to get too deep into it and i think there's probably a little more victory chat to be had but yeah um poor abby lemon had a couple in the sydney derby briley henry was having a nightmare up in brisbane uh chloe legazzo had one that was very reminiscent of emily van egmond's miss in tashkent where it was like how did she miss that and arguably the biggest misses of all were the newcastle jets and their 40 shots uh for only one goal um which is maybe one of the all-time funniest stats i've ever heard in my like they were just peppering and could not for the life of them find the back of the net mindy barbieri obviously eventually did and it was a great goal as well we love that for mindy but yeah, it's uh, it seems like the um, if victory are kind of going out with the tide, everyone else is going in, or whatever the correct way to phrase that analogy is. But, um, yeah, very interesting, very frustrating. I can imagine not just for fans, but obviously all of those players themselves. No one likes to miss, but Beatty Goad, she could not miss. She was fantastic. She was so bloody good. Um. I think that, like, I, I think we need to talk a little bit more about Wellington as well because they just do not look like they did at the start, do they? This game in particular was really disjointed. It was really panicked. Um, they they just didn't really look like a like a unit. They they especially defensively, like there were so many just really basic defensive areas, especially off those corners. My goodness, how do you leave BD Go just hanging around? You know. Like some really simple things, and it 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 was really concerning. I think considering we have in the past really praised Wellington's defense, particularly their centre backs. We really thought that they were two of the most solid of the competition. But this game in particular, gosh, they just sort of lost it, didn't they? Alex Chidiak was running rings around him. Gilnick constantly finding space. Goad, like. It, it was it was just really, yeah, it wasn't great from them. And I'm not really sure sort of what's happened behind the scenes. I mean, maybe losing that huge chunk of players for international duty had something to do with the sort of disruption of it. But they've been on this slow slide for a while. So I kind of, I'm not really sure what the diagnosis is, you know. And even just looking at the stats, like, yes, this game finished 5-3, but it was pretty even when you look at the, the number of shots that there was 15 to 14 shots both teams had eight shots on target, uh, six corners to five. Like it was pretty even in terms of the actual stats of the thing, but it felt so uneven. You know, it was one of those weird games where the the, the momentum and the dynamics 
were so juxtaposed, despite the fact that both sides had on paper a pretty even affair. Um, yeah, I don't know what it is that Wellington need to do now. I don't know what how to how they can dig themselves out of this this kind of moment. Um, I mean, credit to Victory, I think they probably could have scored plenty more goals. Um, and the ones that they did score as well were like, well, the first one I think was a little bit lucky, wasn't it? Sort of a deflection and um, coming off a header. But yeah, I, it's, yeah, Paul Wellington. I wanted you to do well, but, you know, here we are. Uh, interesting stat is um, since Chloe not stepped away um, after scoring the winner against Perth Glory, um, which was like end of November, they've only won two games. Wellington mm. and when it was initially remember the whole release about the financial and Wellington yeah. was the whole um statement very PRE and then Chloe not hops on Instagram and says actually there's all these different issues I have with the club and the standards and all these things and um I don't want to say that's the reason for it happening but it is an interesting slide I think we flagged early in the season it was always going to be difficult given the amount of young players plus a couple of injuries that they've had to sustain this level the extended season was always going to be a particular challenge and punish for younger squads just because it's a lot of professional football, right? So it's a, it's the step forward that we all want. But I think when you look at how seasoned teams like Melbourne victory are finishing the season, Sydney FC are finishing the season. It's um, it says a lot, right? Um, I know the, Especially I know considering the, the amount of travel that the, the Wellington oh, squad have had to do as arduous. well. In addition to international duty, like having to constantly go back and forth from New Zealand must take a huge toll out of them. Oh, absolutely. It's a young squad. They've been hit by injuries. As you say, a lack of consistency with international duties coming into it. Both they and Melbourne City in particular, off the top of my head, had that weird situation where New Zealand's Olympic qualifiers weren't in the international window and, you know, they generously sort of let the players go, obviously, as you would. Um, but it's uh, it really just does mess with things that bit more, right? And, yeah, I, I don't know if there's anything too scientific to it beyond it's a young squad. It's been sort of tumultuous. They got off to a really nice red-hot start and it was always going to be hard to sustain that. But I think what would be disappointing for them is the way that it's sort of come crashing down um real chance probably gonna miss finals now which is a shame um but victory do feel like the team that's on the march at the moment um sydney if, if sydney fc is sort of that ominous like death star that's just slowly eking their way towards the top and you know i think they can leapfrog melbourne city this coming week albeit they have to play western united victory just seem like that team that's like starting to get a bit of swagger about them like Emily Gilnick didn't score, but she had a key hand to play in a couple of those goals. Chidiak, um, like, <laughs> pretty rough that Riley Foster ends up getting credited with an own goal for that one, which is basically old Chids, and it was an attempted save that ends up uh, knocking the ball in. Um, she hit her straps. She set up one of the Goad goals. It just seems to work. We know that Goad and Chidiak played a lot of um, youth international football and the like together as well. They played at Melbourne City together. Um that partnership's working. Um, it just does seem to be clicking nicely. I think just having Gilnick as that centre point in their attack has just eased the pressure on everyone else to try and make things happen. And um, yeah, and I think Rachel Lowe nabbing a goal as well just shows that all these players, they're figuring it out, right? We, we queried when they'd figure it out and get these players functioning together. And it, it does seem to work, albeit um, they've had sort of a, an off Western Sydney a couple of weeks ago and then a 
pretty awful Wellington um, where they've they've racked up these sort of cricket scores. So it's more just about how they can how they can do it when push comes to shove in some of these big games coming up. They should be Adelaide. And then the derby on March 17, I think, is going to be fascinating just in the context of the whole season because victory seem on the up, city seem on the slide, um, and it's sort of where push comes to shove now, right? I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. And that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You mentioned Melbourne City there in terms of like they had the situation with their Kiwi internationals. They've now come back. They've obviously lost a couple of players for young Matildas. But they seem to be in all sorts. Like, they are not doing well. They last won January 20th, so it's been five uh, winless games in a row. They've added that fifth one with a 2-0 loss to Brisbane Raw, who, credit to Brisbane Raw, clinical, nailed it able to just, like, get the points, really good goals from uh, Tameki Yollop and Sean Fryer. But, like, what's going on with City? How have we kind of, like, the conversation has basically completely flipped from City look great, City look like no one can stop them, to all of a sudden they're just kind of slipping away as your Western Uniteds have kind of come to the fore, as your Sydneys have come to the fore, as victory seems to be doing at the moment. What's going on with Melbourne City? I mean, look, we've been talking about this for the last couple of episodes, right? But if we look at this particular game, I think it's a little bit it's a little bit unfair to be like Melbourne City are terrible now because Oh, I'd agree. It was all Brisbane the, Raw, I thought that it was good in this game. Brisbane Raw were very good, but at the same time, Melbourne City had like what, two or three shots that came off a post or a crossbar. Like there were they were particularly in that first half, I thought they were pretty good and it was a pretty even contest. Um, they they just weren't able to keep Brisbane Raw out because I think the Raw, um, in a sort of similar way to almost to Western United, like they had that very slow start and we were wondering, same as Victory, wondering when they were going to sort of click and find their rhythm, things like that, because they've got the players to be able to do it, but there was just something missing. And I think maybe now they're really starting to find that momentum and this game against Melbourne City was probably the best, most recent example of what they really look like when they're firing. Um, and City were, yeah, like they, they were just unlucky. Like they, they tried, they had uh, the opportunities that you'd think, you know, two months ago, three months ago, they probably would have buried three or four of those chances and had been sailing away. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a tough one, isn't it? It's, I feel like it's partly that other teams have really figured out Melbourne City now. They know who their danger players are. They know that they like to use wide channels. They know that they've got a Rihanna Policino who can shoot from outside the box. Um, and they know that if they keep whoever is going to be, whoever is their centre forward quiet, they don't really have anyone else who can score goals. And that's that's really been Melbourne City's downfall, really, because they haven't, they haven't been scoring goals. Whereas at the start of the season, they were banging them away. And also, like, you know what you're going to get with City in the sense, you know Dario Vidosic's style. They're going to want to possess, 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 possess. They're not going to play on the counter. They're not going to change it up in that regard. That's their style. They like to have a lot of the ball. And I think the 
the um, fair and biggest criticism of them has been that they don't do enough with the ball. Like possession means nothing if you're not doing anything with it, right? Um, and that's been their issue. Um, and to be fair, especially on that right-hand side, they've just caught whack after whack. McNamara goes down, you lose Caitlin Torpy um, to a transfer. We know that they've just had their young Matildas away. And in particular, um, I think Danny Gallich is the main one that you look at there because Chinnam has been in and out. And uh, the younger McKenna um, is uh, really a bench player for City. But it's still just another hit that they couldn't really afford. They've had that lack of consistency. I just mentioned with Wellington where Stott and Wilkinson go out, Stott and Wilkinson come back in. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're just not figuring out. They, they need some sort of extra punch through midfield, I think. Um, we, as you say, Sam, we know what Policina could do, but clubs, opposition clubs, know what she can do and know how best to contain her because she is a creator, she is a playmaker, she is really a, a number ten or a, a false nine. You're not going to see her doing the big defensive yards, right? She's not box to box. Um, I do think it's going to be really interesting to see how they, unless Gallich, say for example, goes overseas at the end of the year, it, it's going to be a big call in terms of that transition because it does feel like she's almost ready to take the reins as that main playmaker ahead of. Policina, who is a more senior player. Um, but it's but they make that call. Policina was fantastic at the start of the season as well, making those late runs into the box. I think it's important for us to remember how much these players do get facilitated by like a McNamara being there when she's there because she dragged defenders away. She created good chances, freed up space for those late runs into the box for, for someone like a Rihanna Policina or, for, or to tee up great chances for a Wilkinson. And, it's just not working. Um, I know that Akali Rossbacken is still regaining fitness as well after a horror long stint of injury and she's still finding her feet. Their defence has been a little bit too leaky, but they got opened up in midfield by two wonderful um, through balls from Alicia Woods, I want to say. Um, sorry, just double check that. Yeah, the through yeah, ball Alicia from Alicia Woods, Woods, Woods to Sean Fry was unbelievable. Both. Both Alicia Woods did the through ball for Tamiki Yallop, who went on that wonderful run and scored. And then the the like genuinely two minutes later, a second for Sean Fryer, just two wonderful through balls. And that deserves a lot of credit because that is not easy to do, let alone twice like so quickly. Um, but they did just get picked apart. Um, but yeah, they it does feel like with Melbourne City, they they need something to sort of stop the rot a little bit. They've got the Jets at home on Sunday, and that. I mean, good luck to them, though. Like, Newcastle are flying. Like, pre-season, you put that in and you go, that's probably one that you just tick off for City. But it doesn't seem like that now. That seems like a real big danger game, the way Newcastle are playing. And then they've got the derby, as I said, the week after. Like, this is a real crunch period and they're in danger. They should have been running away with the Premier's plate by this point, but they're four points off it now. Uh, Sydney are one point behind them. Victory are only two points behind them. The Mariners, and Sydney have a game in hand, of course. The Mariners are um, only three points behind them, like, this slide can continue, like, and it can go quite fast. So they really do need to to stop the rot, and it's going to be on those more senior players to sort of pull things together. And sometimes you don't need to get that pretty result, but you just need something to. It can be a one-all draw, it can be a scratchy one-nil win. You just need something to level things out a bit. Um, but it would be interesting to see whether they can do that because they're just not getting those jammy results at the moment. We will obviously watch the kind of home stretch for all of these teams, but especially City, with plenty of interest because, as Harris mentioned, there are some some tasty clashes um, coming up. Uh, 
a game we're not going to talk about, but just need to mention it because we should at least mention all of the results. Mariners 2-0 over Adelaide. Mariners continue to just, like, not do anything flash, but they keep winning and they are in the six and, like, they are probably going to play finals unless, of course, I've just put a massive moz on them. But um, it was great to see them in their pink kits. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But, yeah, very kind of stock standard 2-0 win over Adelaide. The other 2-0 win that we do need to talk about that we haven't talked about yet is the Sydney Derby and Sydney FC's 2-0 win over the Wanderers. It was really interesting watching this Sydney FC team because they are missing a lot of players and a lot of like starting players with the under-20s Asian Cup, which is obviously a very positive thing that all of these young players are starting players for their club. Um, But yet watching them trying to find the back of their net in the first half, I can only imagine as a Sydney FC fan, Sam, was a little bit frustrating. Um, A little bit. (laughs) A little bit. Yes. Gosh. They got it was there incredibly frustrating. in the end. They got yes. there in the end. They got there in the end. And that kind of feels like Sydney's season in a bit of a nutshell. Like they, they got there in the end. You know, if they make finals, it's, oh, they got there in the end. You know, despite all the struggles, despite the fact that they haven't really played great football for the vast majority of this season, <clears throat> despite the fact that they haven't really been scoring many goals, but they also haven't been conceding many goals. Like it's just going to be one of those weird seasons where they haven't dominated and yet they've found themselves in finals anyway. Um, yeah, this game I think was was really frustrating. Sydney had so many chances that they should have buried, just really easy, basic ones that should have found the back of the net. There are some players in this team who are really having off seasons. I think Princess Sabini is probably the best example. She, I just, I haven't seen a season like this from her for a very long time. I don't know if it's a confidence thing. I don't know if it's a, an off field thing. I don't know if she hasn't been practicing shooting enough. It's she, she's just been really off and it's been, it's been frustrating because when you think about a previous season of hers where she combines so beautifully with the likes of a Courtney Vine and Mackenzie Hawksby, you know, she's got the players around her, who know what she's capable of doing, but she she just doesn't really seem to be doing the thing anymore. Um, credit to Courtney Vine. Uh, I thought she had a really great game. She was really effective. She created a lot of opportunities for others. Um, and coming off the back of her uh, withdrawal from the Matildas um, squad for the, the Uzbekistan games, I think there was potentially some questions around like, where's she at? How's she feeling? Is she still sort of at the level um, including from it, you know, us when we did our debrief, we know, well, is she still in the conversation for a Matilda spot? And I think this was a game that she really needed to have to sort of remind us that yes, she is a great player and yes, she is able to offer something that's quite special. Um, yeah, it was mentioned before Abby Lemon, another player who's had some real lights and shades to her season as well. Some incredible misses, um, but also some really great opportunities. I think she's just one of those players who, because she's quite young and still a little bit inexperienced at the dub, she just needs to play more like one or two more seasons of regular starting football for a Sydney or maybe potentially another club. um, And I think she, she will come a long way. Um, But I think when, you know, going back to a previous conversation, when we're talking about the impact that a Chloe Legazzo has had coming into Western United, I think Mackenzie Hawksby coming into Sydney FC has like really saved them. 
Um, I, I don't know where they would be if it wasn't for her because she really was the, the the sort of the cog that was missing in that midfield. Um, and she's so creative. She runs forever. She's a, a real leader as well. And I think a lot of players trust her because she is very reliable on the field too. So, yeah, I mean, uh, it was it was a frustrating game. I'm, I'm really glad that they got the, the two goals in the end, um, even though they weren't really the prettiest of goals and they came – <clears throat> in circumstances that um, were very different from the kinds of opportunities that they were creating. Um, it's a bit of a shame that the Wanderers didn't sort of do a bit more. Um, and I think it's also maybe worth us having a very brief chat about that red card to Vicky Bruce, because I think that should be rescinded. Um, I, I don't understand why it was given. It was a straight red, even though um there were two other defenders who were behind her. So it wasn't the denial of a, an obvious goal scoring opportunity because the, the ball was going through to a, a second defender anyway. Uh, yeah. And I think that, that that kind of turned things a little bit sour for the Wanderers for the rest of the game, I think as well. So yeah, look, um, it's, uh, they're, they're a team that are also missing a couple of young Matildas um, who are over in Tashkent. So yeah, I think in the circumstances, it was a good win from Sydney. Um, I, would hope that the Wanderers are able to kind of get out of the little slump that they're in at the moment. Cause I think when they're, when they're firing, they're really fun to watch. Um, yeah. I don't really have anything else to say. That's about it. I could have just written a voice note. I agree with you, Sam. I think the Vicky Bruce one, having a look at it again, yellow, right? Like it's not a particularly, it's not a feral rugby tackle or anything either. Like it's, body work it's a foul it's a yellow it's a cynical card. foul but it's but not when a the ball card. yeah it's a clear yellow card but red nah nah it's not a straight red um and I, I do hope that it gets looked at and rescinded we had a controversial one in the men's game the other week where um victory youngster Jordy Valadon got a straight red um for one where he uh, was ruled to have fouled Ali Qual it was a VAR referral one and uh Qual hadn't even appealed for the free kick and then it go into VAR and then got called straight red and Victory took it to, um, to like they appealed it as an obvious error and got rejected. I think this is one where it, it should be overturned. Like it's like you see when the ball spills away from Courtney Vine, there's wondrous players there that collect it. <laughs> like there's, it's not just the goalkeeper; it ends up with another wondrous defender. So, yeah, I think that's one that should have been yellow. Um, and yeah, as you say, like once you go down to ten, you're you're always going to be up against it, right? So hopefully it does get looked at. Just quickly before we wrap up on Sydney, I will say, so we've talked about like this episode, Nick's being like a very young team and kind of the the consequences of that across the whole season. What I always enjoy about Sydney though is that there are always like young guns in the wings. And I think this is like a very, dem- like that demonstrate was demonstrated in this game because they've got um, quite a few players out this like round with the the young Tillies uh so like Dos Santos, Kruger, Caspers who have all kind of been cooking this season I guess or like marinating a little bit it feels like they're being managed to be you know um utilized more in a future season and um Ante Europe just so good at that and like it was just funny to me that it's like not a problem for them because they've got like another tier of young players that can come in and and fill that space. So um, in particular, Talon Henneker. So she scored that great goal to put them up 2-0 at the end of the game. But it's just like her first game in the dub, first goal, 
and then just scores and it's like oh okay they're fine they're fine like it, there's just an it's an endless well of depth over at Sydney um so that's really exciting um for them as well and I think it's but like you said Sam and Hawksby just like a her leadership I think is so integral when you when you do have those kinds of players who are um like being introduced slowly into the dub um, and and not necessarily being thrown in the deep end to have that leadership and someone who can kind of guide the way is so important for that kind of approach, I think. And um, her coming back has had such an impact. So, but yeah, I don't necessarily put Princess Ibene in that same basket. And I, I feel like perhaps that's a little bit disappointing because at this point in her career, I would hope that she's the kind of player who would really drive like a team forward in a game like this. And um, I just don't necessarily see that energy from her yet. And it's a, like, it is a shame because she's a great player and a great person. So hopefully, yeah, that changes soon, but otherwise, yeah. Um, Sydney scare me a bit in that, in that regard. <laughs> They're always frightening. Harrow calls them the death star and with good reason. They're just always kind of lurking ominously. But speaking of young players, it is a perfect segue to talk about the other game this weekend. And it was the young Matildas kicking off their under-20s Asian Cup campaign with a come-from-behind 2-1 win over South Korea over in Tashkent in Uzbekistan. Such a good result, such an important result because the under-20s Asian Cup uh, doubles as under-20 World Cup qualifying and its top two teams um, from the group get through to the World Cup, I'm pretty sure. So would be a massive deal and this is obviously a very helpful, very important result. We'll talk a little bit about the goals, but unfortunately we can't really analyse the football because the conditions did not allow football to be played. Which will also how how did they score three goals? How were three goals scored in this game? Like, it's extraordinary the ball got down to both ends that many times for goals to be scored given it was like coming... Sorry, if you were not paying attention, uh, lots of snow, we will clear the perimeter. We will maybe even, you know, use shovels to draw the centre circle and some of the other pitch markings. But remove snow from the centre of the pitch to make it playable? Why would we do that? Nah. Uh, and then, like, we know that even at the – we've got a couple of uh, community football volunteers here. We know that referees do pitch inspections uh, before games, even at local level. The ball should be able to move. How's this been cleared to play? What on earth? Just – and then it, it just seems like, Sam, you can go into this, but there doesn't seem to have been – any answer from the AFC, the Asian Football Confederation, as to one, why this game was able to proceed, two, why this game was able to proceed, three, why this game was able to proceed. Like, it's just like, it, it's just not good enough, right? At any level, local football would be would be canned for this. Like, how do you not push back kickoff at the very least to try and shovel this? Maybe they, there was more snow than they thought, but if not, just push back kickoff. Do something. Don't make these players go through this. I don't know how they weren't in thermals either. Like, very impressive. A lot of short sleeves out there from the gals. The whole thing was like a fever dream, wasn't it? It was so bizarre. When I was watching it, the like the um, the live stream of the field um, in the like just before the actual game started, I was like, hold on a sec. So they've done they've cleared sort of like maybe five meters around the the perimeter of the field, but they've left like the like the whole center of it is still 
is still there. And I, like you watch the flag bearers walk out into the middle of the field and lean down in the snow and their knees disappeared. Like they were in the, like it was like a foot of snow. It's like, how does like, clearly they've got shovels or like they've got the people there to be able to clear it away. And they've presumably been there for at least two hours getting ready for this game to go ahead. How did they not start the work sooner? Like why did, who decided that only the perimeter was going to be cleared and not the middle? And what were the referees thinking at that point? Like, I don't, we've sent so many questions to the AFC, but to be honest, I think the AFC media inbox is just, is, is monitored by like an office dippy bird. I don't think anyone actually exists at the end of that because we've sent so many emails to them about lots of different things, largely involving AFC fuck ups and uh, have gotten no response ever. So I'll be shocked if we get one on this. Um, we, I just don't like uh, from a match commissioner perspective, from a refereeing perspective, from like a team perspective as well. I don't know whether the teams like, like expressed concerns to, to the officials saying we, you know, we don't want to play in a foot of snow because it's an injury risk. Like not only is this on artificial turf, but it's in snow, which means that the field is probably harder than what it usually is because it's probably frozen in minus two degrees and you can barely, like, you're, you're constantly stopping and starting. We watched the way that the game was unfolding and, like, players were, like, digging themselves into the snow and it was just awful. I don't, I feel so awful for the players. Um, they should never have been subjected to this. It, it should have been delayed or cancelled b- by decision makers above them. They should never have gotten to the point where they had to do that. And I was listening to the interviews of some of the players after the game and, um, they, I think it was Chloe Lincoln, the goalkeeper, was talking about how, like, even when they came out for the warm-ups, they had only cleared, like, a quarter of the field away. So they couldn't even do their warm-ups properly. Like, how, what kind of injury prevention sort of shit is that, you know? Like, every decision that was made in this thing is just bonkers to me. I'm, I am, I'm so angry um, and I'm so, like, offended on behalf of these teams. Like, this, is, this isn't just a friendly game. This is the opening group game of an under 20s Asian Cup. And this is the pathway for qualification for an under 20s World Cup. Like this could be the biggest game that these players ever play in their careers. And this is the sort of stuff that they're subjected to. I, it, it's just, it's awful. And I am, I'm really like, I'm going to be hammering on the AFC head about this because this is all their decisions. This is all their responsibility. And if no one comes out, um, from them to explain what's happened, then like it's it, it, I like it's it's unforgivable this kind of shit. You would never see it in the men's game. No, never. You you just wouldn't, would you? Like it's almost like um, I don't want to say comical, but it's like watching golf where someone's hit the ball into the bunker and they're getting a wedge to get the ball out of the sand to like hoof it out wide to the areas where they're like to get it you know back on the green. But it was like players in like a foot of snow trying to like wedge the ball out into the um, artificial turf so they could actually play it. And that's basically where the goals came from. Like the Peter Trimmis goal was basically like, get it out of there. <laughs> and then uh, she can run onto it and actually do something. But imagine how slippery that ground would have been, how inconsistent. Just imagine how cold their poor feet were. And they would have been soaking. It would have been grim. Like, you know, when you go like hiking and you like slip into a puddle or something and you're like, Ugh. it would have been like that, but just over and over and over again. Or if you like wear through your football boots and then you learn the hard way because you play in the rain and they go, Oh no, <laughs> except <laughs> it's just all so bad. Um, like they should never have had to do it, but credit to, to both teams for like somehow finding a way, as I said, to score three goals in this. Um, 
on the goals, I think I think they feel pretty unlucky. The Matildas to go, so the young Matildas to go down one nil. Chloe Lincoln, you would normally back, and I don't know if the conditions played a role in this, but you know, regardless, I think as a goalkeeper, she'd say she should have held on to that save, spills it, that's chaos and a goal. But yeah, the like the resolve to come back from that point, and we know that South Korean teams, as a general rule, very well structured defensively. Um, it was the, the second goal for Peter Trimmers. It was a very like classic Australia on the counter special, wasn't it? And it, I think one thing about that goal is I always like to see players rewarded um, for their club form at national team level. And Peter Trimmers has been one of the shining lights for the Mariners. And in, in, in this competition, let's be honest, the A-League women, and to see her sort of pick up where she left off. Lara Gooch has been excellent for Newcastle as well. They they missed down the weekend. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, it's, it's it's great to see Sam. I know you said you're super excited about this this young Matildas group. Um, and let's I think just to give some context, we had that group a few years ago where there was um you know your Chidiacs and your Samsons and all them, and they've sort of Wheeler, Claire Hunt, and they've sort of been a slower burn group compared to your Kerr's forwards and that. But it feels like a few of these ones are really hitting the ground running, hey? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, absolutely. This is a really exciting group of, of players. And if you've sort of been keeping track of the youth teams over the last two or three years, you'll know that, you know, your Ray Dowers, Yulia Blaney's, like a number of people within the youth development system of Football Australia have been really excited about this group of players in particular as they've been coming through the junior and now the young Matildas. Um, the vast majority of people who watch the A-League Women's will recognise all these players. They're playing consistently. They're playing really well. The only kind of stranger is Millie Borton, who um, hasn't had a stint in the A-League women's, but is actually uh, in the WSL. She's a player for Tottenham Hotspur. And while this game wasn't the best um, uh, platform for her to show why she is over there and why she made her debut for Tottenham only a couple of months ago, there were a couple of moments where you're like, wow, like this is a real player. She's got some real speed. She's, her technical ability is great. Um, she's got a real vision of the game as well. So that's an amazing find. Um, credit to the the scouts who would have had to track Millie Borton down through some kind of network to figure out that she was eligible to play for Australia because that's a great that's a great pickup. Um, yeah, Peter Tremis was fantastic, um, and Naomi Chinema scoring her. I think it's her first goal for for Australia as well. Um, that crucial winner in the ninety second minute or whatever it was after a clever little cutback um, in a scramble in the box. Yeah, it was like the resolve that they showed and the resilience that they showed the players to just be like, you know what, this field sucks. These are the conditions, but both both teams have to play in it. So let's just try and maximise what we've got. And weirdly enough, when I reflect back on it, I actually think these conditions really favoured Australia. Because if you think about South Korean football, like they love to hold the ball. They love to possess. They love to pass. They love to keep it on the ground. But they couldn't. They literally couldn't do that in this game. And so, you know, the young Matildas, they went into halftime 1-0 down. And according to Leah Blaney, they were like, yep, we need to become be a bit more direct. We need to have balls that are in the air. We need to use our, our physicality and our speed to try and get in behind them. 
And that's exactly how they scored that that equaliser from Peter Tremis, who just tore off down the middle and, and got onto a long ball. Um, yeah, so, you know, it wasn't like considering the circumstances, the fact that they won is crazy. Um, but it was also so important that they won this game because this is the hardest game in their whole group. Um, and I don't think on a normal field um, it, it probably would have fallen this way. So, yes, yeah, swings and roundabouts, I suppose. Just we were talking about it off um, air before we recorded, Sam. How much did that Lara Gooch, she had the two assists, but the cutback for Naomi Chinema said it, yeah. the composure and the awareness to make that cutback instead of just blindly shooting. It reminded me so much of um, the Kaya Simon assist for Emily Van Egmond um, to score um, that put Australia into the Olympics a few totally. years back. Just knowing that you're back to goal, having that awareness and going, there's going to be someone out the back here. Probably Naomi Chinnam is probably not the player you'd expect to be it, but <laughs> fair enough, great hit. And, uh, yeah, yeah, credit to, to Lagridge for the awareness and Chinnam for the wonderful finish. Like, really, yep. two really nice finishes from the Aussies. Um, yeah. Yeah, Claudia Chico was, was great when she came on. Carly Johnson was great. Like, it, really, it, all the players in this game were were great. Even if you just look at the starting 11, uh, like, every single one of those players is a player who is excellent at club level. Like, their back four was Sasha Grove, Naomi Chinema, Alexia Postolakis, and Jess Nash, right? Like, those are four ripping players. Those are your your four starting players for the young Matildas. Then you've got a midfield of Maddie Casper, Zara Kruger, and Indiana DeSantos. Again, three absolute weapons. And then you start up front with Millie Borden, Peter Trimmers, and Daniela Galich. Like, that's a sick team. You know what I mean? Like, you hear those names in, in the context of their clubs. You're like, oh, yeah, that's a really good player. But combined, like, that's a really, really exciting team. So, I like, I want to see these players play on an actual field, you know, within normal conditions where everything is fine. Because I think, like, this is a real crop of players who I am really confident that they are going to be, like, the next core of the Matildas, of the senior team. Um, if they continue on the trajectory that they've been on so far, yeah, it's going to be a ripping next couple of years. So just before we move on, um, what you were saying, Sam, about playing in like basically around the snow, there's definitely a comparison there to community football teams who obviously have a home pitch that has just like a cricket pitch through the middle. So <laughs> they're just like, we got to <laughs> don't want to run on that. <laughs> can't go under it, can't go around it, got to go over it. Um, yeah usually quite agricultural football. But anyway, <laughs> yes. Uh, the fact that we're making comparisons to community football tells you that, as we've emphasised, this shouldn't have happened. But the professionalism that um, both teams showed like, is immense, um, even though they shouldn't have had to. So, yeah. And um, I've just looked up the forecast in Tashkent and there's no snow for the next few days. So hopefully everything thaws out and we don't even have to worry about any of this but I agree that um Sam keeps sending those emails the other comparison uh community sports volunteers can relate to that (laughs) and council uh maybe not responding to anything no Matt if you're listening um you're great and don't don't take this to heart this is just a little joke anyway Matt's my contact at council anyway um shall we move on (laughs) before I continue to make more comparisons (laughs) to community football um, I did want to say just quickly, like playing in the snow is possible because literally yesterday as well, there was highlights from an MLS game where it was Real Salt Lake City and LAFC playing in the snow. And shockingly, the ball can move on snow if it's 
been flattened or, you know, like there was still a little bit of slowness because obviously you are playing on an additional um, surface basically, but I'm watching the highlights. The ball moved. So playing in the snow, possible, just not what we saw in Tashkent at all. That was no bueno. But um, that was a boot and analysis, uh, two for the price of one. We have to get to the other boot, which was the kickoff time for Western United Canberra. Angela, you were literally talking about it earlier because, you know, you tried to set up the uh, the iPad for us to watch at the pub. But should you have been trying to set it up because should there have been a game on on a Friday at 4.30pm? Uh, no, there should not have been. And it's, it is a bit of a mystery. Like, to be honest, kudos to everyone who's kicked off because genuinely I was just like – like friend of the pod Tom was like why and I was I was just like well this is the dub why not you know um it was a 4 30 p.m game being kicked off in Caroline Springs as well so that's like a bit confusing because but well first of all Caroline Springs is not not the most accessible place in the world so for anyone who is in like the you know greater scope of Melbourne it would have been an absolute pain in the ass to try and get there um second of all like 4 30 p.m on a friday like just should never happen at all and we've had this bit like we've been beefing about 5 p.m kickoffs at amy park but this is just like somehow worse than that um like in terms of like broadcasting like i don't know if that's a reason um friend of the pod ben williams has a theory that it was potentially lights like the home ground like that there wouldn't be lights um, of a good enough quality for either broadcasting or to just play a fixture um, to come on later on. So that's why they did it at 4.30. But then I'm kind of like, well, then do it on a Saturday or a Sunday. Like I don't like, so yeah, if anyone has any insight as to why this happened, that would be great to know. Regardless, shouldn't have happened, you know, like, it's 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 silly um and yeah it's a bit it's a bit disappointing as well um because like for example Michelle Heyman just had a absolutely cracking game in Melbourne um glowing advertisement for the league and then it's like oh yeah she's actually playing in Melbourne this this weekend yep 4 30 p.m on a Friday in Caroline Springs so yeah it's just yeah a, a big boot to that. I don't know if anyone else has anything else to add. I feel like it just the the, the subject line is enough. Four thirty p.m. kickoff on a Friday in Caroline Springs. I don't think we can do a season of the Far Post without having at least one scheduling boot that happens to be. Please don't schedule games during work hours. Basic enough. You think it's pretty straightforward, right? Like it sounds kind of simple. Concept. You say it like that. Yeah, weird. The other. This is a. a, This is not a genuine boot. Um, this is just a funny thing. So, um, my partner went to Sydney this weekend, just gone. Um, and went and did some some Mardi Gras things, and someone in her party was like complaining. They're like, "Why did they schedule the women's football game on at the same time as the Mardi Gras stuff? Did they not know their audience?" Which I thought was a good point. <laughs> so, 
I think it's a valid question, absolutely. But um, we need to lift the mood up in here because it's been an angry few minutes from us, justifiably so, but we need to lighten things up. So let's get stuck into some how goods. Sam, do you have a how good? Yes. Speaking of Mardi Gras and the queer community and celebrating who you are and and being out and proud, uh, Grace Wilson, Adelaide United goalkeeper, became the first professional footballer in Australia to come out as non-binary. Um, it's an amazing moment and it's such a, a, a testament to the culture that Adelaide United seems to have built behind the scenes. You know, Grace follows in the footsteps of Josh Cavallo, who was the the first male footballer to come out as gay last year. Um, and of course, they've had a number of other women come through their ranks who are very out and proud about their sexuality. So uh, Grace identifies with they, them pronouns. Um, the, the, the social media um, strategy from the club, I think, was really lovely, really effective, um, and also a really important lesson for other clubs and other associations about how you go about something like this. Um, you know, you sit down with the player, you do an interview, someone, uh, it was Holly Ransom, the CEO of Pride Cup who conducted the interview as well. So someone with experience who can ask the, the appropriate questions and, and provide a, a, a sense of comfort and of, um, and of knowledge um, in that conversation as well, which, is, which was important. And also just like turning off the comments, turn off the comments, you know, like don't, don't subject a player who has just you know, bore themselves to the world to potential, um, you know, spiteful hate um, and disgusting bigotry from people online. Like even just retweeting the story myself, I, I got a lot of that hate as well. Um, and, you know, people questioning all sorts of things, but it was, yeah, it's just awful. Um, so shout out to Adelaide, shout out to Grace, who's currently over in Tashkent with the young Matildas, um, hoping to, to qualify for that under 20 Women's World Cup. Um, this is a fabulous moment for them and for their club and for their family and their friends um, and also for the jersey that uh, that they have rocked in the promo material for Adelaide United ahead of Pride Round. The goalkeeper jersey is absolutely stunning. Um, I have tried everything I can to get my hands on one and hopefully it's going to be happening soon. It's this beautiful sort of like wave of rainbow colours. They look absolutely sick in it. Um, yeah, I just love it. I think this is such, an, such a cool moment and uh, just a further extension of the fact that the dub has been for a very long time a space that has allowed players to feel safe and comfortable with their sexualities, with their identities, and hopefully the more pride rounds, the more pride cups, the more pride initiatives that we have in the game, the more and more people like Grace are going to feel comfortable being themselves. So shout out to Grace. How good. Just to tack something on the end there, if I may, speaking of Pride and football, our very own Sam Lewis is a finalist in the 2024 Australian Pride in Sport Awards for one of her <laughs> stories from last season about the uh, the rainbow numbers that the Tillies played with at the Cup of Nations last year and how, as you literally were just talking about, women's football has always been a space for queer people to feel safe and accepted and proudly out. So congratulations to you. We we always knew you were a star. Oh, always knew it. it. Um, Thanks, I appreciate yes. it. Um, obviously, we can't wait for Pride Round as well. Um, I have a bad feeling that Adelaide goalkeeper kit is going to go the way of the Mackenzie Arnold goalkeeper kit if it does go on sale in the sense that Please let us purchase it. Like, 
take my money. There's, I've got no other words for it, but no, absolutely a massive how good. Angela, a how good from you? I just looked it up and it's, they've only got it available in small 3XL, 4XL for the the A-League women, like specific goalkeeper pride jersey. So people have already been snapping it up, um, which is stressful. <laughs> um <laughs> But anyway, uh, my how good, uh, for those who listen to this podcast, you will know that I like the colour pink. Um, so I've got two. <laughs> First is a shout out to a friend of the pod, Joe. I was like in line to get some uh, snacks at the Victory game the other day. And someone was like, oh, Angela, you're wearing far post pink. And I was like, uh, yes, I am. I was wearing this jumper that I'm wearing now. Um and then I had to be like, I'm so sorry, who are you? But Joe was like, I'm just a listener of the pod. Um, but thank you for saying hey and for recognising the Far Post Pink. We love that. Second, how good. Um, so Central Coast Mariners had their pink round this um, weekend just gone. So it was delightful to see them all out in pink kits and pink scot- uh, scots, socks, socks. Anyway. Uh, so this was in partnership with the McGrath Foundation who do important work in terms of supporting families who are affected by breast cancer. Um, and so the delightful pink kits that the Mariners were wearing um, are being auctioned off and 50% of the proceeds will go to the McGrath Foundation. Um, so, yeah, I don't think I stand a chance of getting my hand on one of those pink kits. But regardless of how good, um, it's great to see Uh our A-League's getting around important causes um, and also slaying in Far Post Pink. So, Which is what good. really matters, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that pink kit, though, pinked like nothing has ever pinked before. It was the pinkiest thing I've ever seen in my life. It was absolutely incredible. But now I have to echo just massive kudos to the Mariners because they've done this for ages Um obviously only with the men's team because that's all they had for a really long time. So that's been a, a fixture of the Mariners calendar. Now this year, obviously with the women returning, the women have been able to get into it as well. So we absolutely love to see it. I have silly how goods because um, of who I am as a person. First up, uh, Hayley Razo knows how to build a brand got two tattoos while she was uh, back home in Australia. The tattoo artist has posted them, tagged her in it, and obviously people have found them. So Hayley Rosa got two tattoos. One, a ribbon, because of course she did. Just icon behaviour. Um, but arguably the more iconic of the two tattoos was getting stronger on her back. And as we all know, Hayley Rosa infamously broke her back in an NWSL game a few years ago now there were concerns that she would not like get to live a normal life let alone play football when you have an injury as serious as that but as we all know she has recovered fully she is absolutely killing it everywhere she goes so I just and like right up there with Larissa Crummer's snap tattoo on her leg that she broke in a bajillion places like Good tattoos. Absolutely love to see it. A massive how good. Um, And the other how good, if Kia would like to sponsor this, come at us. They have released an ad 
because uh, they've just released a ute and they want to name this ute. So they have corralled 20 Australian sporting legends to like offer their name for this ute. And in amongst these Australian sporting legends is none other than Mackenzie Arnold. And the ad is so good. Like I enjoyed it so much. You've got cricketers, you've got rugby players, you've got rugby league players, and then you've got John Aloisi saying, you know, if you if you want a good name for a, a ute, why not the Kia Aloisi? And he flicks a pea in between like a salt and pepper shaker. And then Mackenzie Arnold with a fork stops that pea. And she's like, hold up, chief, basically. Uh, maybe the Kia Macau is a little bit more contemporary. And I'm like, yes! <laughs> like, it's just, it's such a good ad. Ash Barty's in it, Dylan Alcott's in it. Like, all of these absolute superstars of Australian sport are in it. And our very own Mackenzie Arnold is in it as well. So it was just, like, Kia, I hope you sell all the utes because it was a great ad. I had a great time watching it. Well done. Um but yeah, massive, massive how good. But I think that is us done for today. A little bit of a chunky episode, but it kind of required chunk, unfortunately. We will obviously be back next week for another round of A-League women's action. We know that there is still plenty to come and lots of kind of intrigue about it because of where we are in the season we will also have the rest of the young Matildas group game so hopefully we'll actually have proper football to analysis in uh, to analyze rather in these upcoming games because the uh the pitch won't be such a shambles but we've got uh 10 p.m Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Wednesday the 6th of March the Tillies take on Uzbekistan and then we have uh the 9th of March 7 p.m Australian Eastern Daylight Time up against Taiwan so you can watch those games on Tenplay we will do our best to analyze them as well in the upcoming pods but thank you as always for tuning in we're over on espn.com.au and the ESPN app you can find us on Spotify Apple all of the usual pod spots if you like what we do leave a review and subscribe if you want to chat to us we're at the far post pod on all social media but until next time see you